This is Clayton for Podcast Radio Business. We're joined by Catherine Foote, Director of Phoenix Insights, and we're here to discuss getting the over-50s back into work and understanding and tackling over-50s economic inactivity. Thank you for joining us, Catherine. Thanks so much, Clayton. It's lovely to be here. You're most welcome. Please tell us about your role at Phoenix Insights. Sure. So, Phoenix Insights is a new think tank inside Phoenix Group, which is the UK's largest long-term savings and retirement business. And really what I do is I look at issues that face future generations of retirees and things that might be preventing us from a financially secure retirement. We're all living for much longer than previous generations and lots of us. Uh, that will mean rethinking how we save, how we work, how we live. And so at Phoenix Insights, we study these issues and then help Phoenix Group, the business and government and others make the changes that we know are needed in society to help us all live longer lives better. So what inspired Phoenix Insights to conduct this research on economic inactivity among over 50s? Well, after decades of more and more people in their 50s and 60s staying in work, we had this extraordinary shock, of course, of the pandemic. And those trends suddenly reversed. One million people in their 50s and 60s have left the labour market since the pandemic, since 2020. And lots of them are saying that they do want to come back. We've got a really tight labour market in this country at the moment, lots of vacancies, real challenges around economic growth and productivity. So really, I see this age group as a hugely important part of the solution for individual businesses and for the economy as a whole. It's one of the most critical things I think we need to get right in our economy at the moment, helping this group of people get back to work. How would the economy benefit from those over 50s returning to work? Well, we've got vacancies that need filling. And we know that we want as a country to become a more highly skilled, productive economy that's growing. We've seen really stagnant um, stagnant growth in this country for, for a long time now. So just like, um, like, you know, any part of the population, this is a skilled, talented pool of workers that we're just not making the most of. And I think it's really critical, both for them as individuals and their future financial situation, and for the economy as a whole, that we make the most of that available talent in this country. I have heard anecdotally, a lot of people saying that once they got past 50, they felt that the workplace didn't really recognise and acknowledge their contribution. Do you think that could have been one of the reasons why people during the pandemic sort of reassessed their life and thought, if they don't value me, maybe it's not for me? I do. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I've heard that so much too. And in our research, we spoke to lots of people in their 50s and 60s. I think sometimes that experience is quite an explicit one of feeling almost discriminated against. Sometimes it's a little bit more kind of insidious, feeling a little bit more overlooked, feeling kind of gently nudged out, a little bit more ignored, a little bit, to use your word, undervalued. And then I think we went through the pandemic and people thought, well, do I feel valued? Do I value the place that work has in my life? And and maybe, maybe I don't anymore. So I think, interestingly, one of the most important predictors of who left 
the labour market post-pandemic was their level of job satisfaction beforehand. If you are not enjoying work, you're not going to stick it out for the long term. So that's a huge challenge, I think, for businesses. What can we do about the quality of jobs for people of all generations, but certainly for this age group too? You preempted my next question in terms of job satisfaction. So you were on the money there. In real practical terms, a lot of people feel that they were probably doing jobs that they were doing in order to maybe pay university fees or to pay off the back end of a mortgage or a car. And then when the opportunity presented itself during the pandemic, even though that was quite a negative time, they thought, this could be my opportunity to head for the door. And maybe younger people felt that they could change their lives in a particular way about doing the job and the work that they want to do. I think at the same time, the parallel situation was happening where older people felt, I can do the job that I want to do or not work at all. Absolutely. But what does it say about the quality of jobs in this country and how we think about work if so many of us felt when we had the chance to experience not working that we would take that opportunity? I think I'm worried, honestly, that... Uh, it's easy to stereotype this group of people as, yeah, I've heard it so many times, you know, rich boomers now on the golf course enjoying their early retirement. And undoubtedly, there will be some people in that group who have made a really sensible, affordable choice and good luck to them. You know, congratulations. But for others, we know there's real financial vulnerability. Do you know there's a 20-fold difference in the average wealth of people in this age group compared to those who said they were early retired, and that's their reason for leaving work, versus those who say they're long-term sick. Wow. 20-fold difference in wealth, huge financial vulnerability, um, I think, in this group. So we've absolutely got to enable them to think more positively about work and to find opportunities that would work for them. Do you know, the one thing that people say above everything would be the thing that gets them back is flexible hours and part-time work. So I think there's a story here of, if you like, people seeing their skills getting increasingly undervalued. They want to contribute. They want to keep working. They just maybe don't want to do it 40, 50 hours a week anymore. And yet really high quality part-time work is so hard to come by. Indeed. But the thing is, it's quite interesting. Whereas the uh, Mazumas, as they're called, are basically saying that they've got boomers on the golf course. The thing that's quite interesting about Zoomers and boomers, if you want to put them together, is that they actually both want the same thing. Absolutely. They're both thinking about work as part of their whole lives, aren't they? And thinking about how to integrate work that means something to them, that gives them purpose and that enables them to do other things that they enjoy and that are important to them in life. Absolutely. I don't think um, the generations are nearly as far apart in their attitudes to work and life. Not at all. I think the the whole point is, is that people, especially post-pandemic now, look at life differently. They don't necessarily want to be stuck on a train. They don't necessarily want to be doing something that they don't feel gives value to themselves or to their communities. So in order to attract people back to work, that is something obviously that will need to be addressed. I wanted to also ask, what are your expectations for the related announcements in the upcoming budget? 
I really hope that the government have some strong things to say and strong commitments to make to reversing economic inactivity in next week's budget. You know, as I said, it's such a critical issue in our labour market right now. I think we need to see an expansion of access to financial advice and career support for people. We need to make that really easy to find. This is a group of people, many of whom will never have been inside a job centre. They wouldn't think of going to the government for advice to get back into work. So where can we reach them with the sort of advice and support, getting back into work, getting that confidence, thinking about your CV, thinking about where your skills are and what job opportunities locally, you know, might work for you. I would hope to see some announcements in that area. And I think, as I said before, you know, we've just got to get serious about flexibility and part-time work. So I'd also like to see the government committing more strongly to making sure that flexible work becomes much more readily available. Can you also elaborate on the recommendation I think that was made in the report for a regional approach to tackling economic inactivity? Absolutely. So this is not just one even phenomenon that's playing out in the same way across the UK. It's really different. I mean, it's different for literally every individual, of course. That mix of issues about job satisfaction, about other responsibilities, it's going to play out so differently for all of us. But regionally, you can see there are big differences. So, for example, in the northeast, in Yorkshire, the top reason for being economically inactive in your 50s and 60s is being too sick to work. Whereas in Scotland, in the southwest, it's early retirement. And interestingly, in London and the Southeast, it's caring. It's being responsible for somebody else. That means that you can't work. So I think, you know, there is no one size fits all solution. There's no kind of blanket commitment that government can make or one intervention that will work in the same way across the country. So that's why I think a regional approach is important and working with employers from different industries too, because there are differences there, as you can imagine. You know, if you're in a in a manual industry, you're much more likely to cite sickness and disability as the reason you're out of work. Whereas if you're in a business like mine, financial services, much more likely to say you're retired. The government and employers are facing a bit of an uphill struggle in order to lure people back. What will happen when you've got a group of over 50s who say, I've had enough of work. Why should I go back? I don't think we should put this in the too difficult box. You know, yes, it's not one phenomenon. And yes, there are different reasons why people have left. But it's so important that we make the most of the talent available in this country. And the people in their 50s and 60s are a huge part of that. So, yes, some people may feel that they've take, they've taken their early retirement. They feel they can afford it. And, you know, I really do say good luck to them. And congratulations if that's the choice that you want to make and you feel that that's financially something you can afford. I do worry, though, that it is so hard to make that financial call right at the moment. So much of the responsibility on your own financial security and retirement is is on you now as an individual. These are really hard financial decisions, and it is only the absolute wealthiest that can afford to take kind of independent financial advice. So I think, you know, we should at least widen access to that sort of support that would enable more of us to just get a bit of help doing our sums and checking that we're going to be okay. But of course, if people, um, you know, want to leave the labour market, we've got to remember that, you know, this phrase economic inactivity, it just means 
employment inactivity, there are ways in which we all, at all stages of life, but certainly in our 50s and 60s and beyond, contribute to our economy as carers, as consumers, as and volunteers. You know, and these are all, of course, hugely valuable things that we should encourage and support. So what role do you see apprenticeships playing in encouraging over 50s return to work? I mean, when I studied that apprenticeships were seen, you know, as if you were young and you were straight from school. But now like Robert De Niro in that movie where he's the intern, obviously we're seeing the apprenticeships for over 50s now. A little bit we are. I wish we were more. I'm not sure the language of apprentice really works for people in their 50s and 60s. I'm not sure it always sounds super appealing. At Phoenix Group, we are working to attract older colleagues to take part in apprenticeship programmes. There's a lot more to do to enable older people to reskill and retrain and take up opportunities, programmes like that. Not least because, of course, typically in this age group, I mean, you mentioned it earlier on, you might have rent to pay. You might have a mortgage to be paying off. You might be still looking after dependent children, be starting to look after elderly parents, say a lot of outgoings and taking that risk to retrain and reskill. Well, it's a tough and brave choice for some people. So I think we could do a lot more to make that choice a much easier one for people because it's going to be important if we're all going to be working with these longer lives we can live now than previous generations you know, for 40, 50 years, just relying on the education we had when we were children is not going to cut it. No, not at all. And we spoke earlier about financial resilience and support. Can you talk about the importance of building up financial resilience for over 50s? Absolutely. So, you know, we look now, I work in the the pensions and long-term savings industry. When pensions were first introduced. You were talking about life expectancy where for people reaching that original state pension age, it was 70 when it first came in, you know, it was a handful of years. But children born today have got a decent shot of living to 100. That challenge of financial security across these longer lives is a really serious one. And, you know, we did some other work last year where we looked at what kind of retirement incomes do people expect and do their kind of current rates of savings and their incomes stack up? Are they on track to get there? And worryingly, we found only 14%, one four, 14% of people over 25 are on track for the retirement incomes that they aspire to. We are truly in the midst of a massive national undersaving crisis in this country. So efforts from all fronts to enable us to engage in our own long-term finances and think about how we can build up as you say, our resilience over the course of our working lives and then make the most of what we do have when we take that decision to retire and make really good choices about the money we do have and how we use it is going to be so, so important for the years and decades ahead. It is indeed, because I suppose the problem with whatever stage you are in life Retirement can come very, very quickly and it can be very, very pleasurable and very enjoyable if you're doing the things that you want to do. But if you're underprepared, it can be quite a bit of a shock. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, you know, at the moment, something like the state pension and actually an awful lot of pensions industry sort of retirement income modelling is based on the assumption that people aren't going to have much housing cost later in life. And that is changing. You know, the Britain of the future is not a Britain where everybody retired has managed to own their home outright. It's a Britain where people are going to still be renting and where people are still going to be paying off 
their mortgage. So I think we do need to think in all sorts of ways about how we support people to take these sensible financial decisions and work decisions for themselves if they're going to be able to ensure decent financial security throughout what could be really long retirements. We've heard about the report and the effects of it and what you hope the government will be able to do. What is Phoenix Group doing as an employer? Well, I'm really pleased to say that Phoenix Group for years has been working really hard to be an inclusive employer on all fronts and age is one of those fronts. So, for example, we're really actively trying to recruit older workers into our customer services uh, departments, recognising that older customers actually like to speak to somebody of a similar generation sometimes um, on the other end of the phone. We also work really hard to enable all of our colleagues of all ages to get decent access to financial advice and support, to career development and work advice. And we're doing some work to offer people just in those years in the run up to retirement, a chance to cut down their hours and begin to think through what retirement could look like for them and make sure that they can keep working for as long as possible. Honestly, there is so much that leading employees can do to both you know, recruit, retain and retrain older workers if they really choose to focus on it. And as we were saying earlier, you know, given this this group in our labour market is critical, it's a huge group um, in our labour market now, given our ageing population. I think, quite frankly, any you know business leaders or HR directors that aren't focusing on age and older workers are missing a trick. They're just asleep at the wheel, quite frankly, for the way that the labour market is going and where where the talent lies. Indeed, indeed. So where can our listeners go for more information? Well, Phoenix Insights is hosted on the Phoenix Group website. So that's www.thephoenixgroup.com. Will they be able to see the report there as well? Or is that somewhere else? Absolutely. We've got the report, we've got data, we've got blogs, you name it. Thank you very much for that. Catherine Foote, Director of Phoenix Insights. Thank you for joining us on Podcast Radio Business. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Most welcome.